For us here, we're going to kick off Pastor Sam's new series called Crosswalk. And um, like Pastor Sam said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the cross and its ability to touch every area of our lives. And this morning, we're going to be focusing in as we started off, we're going to be focusing in on freedom in our lives. Now, when we think of freedom, uh, we tend to think of freedom like we would define it in Western culture in the United States. So freedom for a lot of people, when you ask them, how would you define freedom? If you could do a man or woman on the street interview deal, how would you define freedom? They would probably say, well, freedom is my ability to do whatever it is I want to do without anybody else restraining me in any way. They would say, uh, freedom is just me having the right to do as long as I don't hurt somebody else, as long as I don't break any laws that, that involve anybody else. Freedom is me just being able to do what I want to do and, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And you know what, I'm, I'm good with the fact that we don't have to be all up in each other's business all the time about everything. I mean, there is a place for you can do that over there, that's your preference, this is mine over here. But then there's a place where it isn't healthy that way. And what we tend to do when we read the New Testament, the word freedom or free shows up several times and we take our Western American version of I get to do what I want to do and you can't have any say in it or stop me and we try to superimpose that on the New Testament. Like that's what freedom means in the New Testament. And it's not exactly how the word freedom gets used in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Galatians today, a couple of passages in the book of Galatians that talk about the issue of freedom, particularly as it relates to the cross. But I want to give you some of the background of, of Galatians here, uh, because the passage that I'm going to read picks up in the middle of an argument and especially if you're new to walking with Jesus or you're new to reading the Bible, you get into some of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, and you can say to yourself, what in the world is he talking about, and why is this issue so important? So I'm going to start reading in just a minute, but the issue that he's dealing with is the issue of circumcision. So we're going to talk about the issue of circumcision. So here's what I'm going to say. Some of y'all that like to say, pause. So some of you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, Sue Ellen Williams and I were talking about that uh, a few days ago. Like, you'd be talking about something, and you'll say things in a certain way, and immediately it moves into something sexual, and everybody goes, pause. So we're going to talk about circumcision, so all y'all that like to tell me to pause, pause. Because if you don't understand what's being talked about in the book of Galatians, you're not going to understand what Paul's trying to communicate to you. And he's dealing with an important issue, and it's the issue of circumcision. So let me give you just a little bit of history so you understand why this is so important to the Apostle Paul. The Jews in the Old Testament were not the first people to have the issue of circumcision be in, in their country. They weren't the only people that did that. Other, other nations did use circumcision with their males, and, but they usually used it kind of as a rite of manhood. About the age of 12, that's when they would circumcise the young men, and it was kind of a rite of passage, and then they would go on into adulthood and so forth. Now, every guy in the room is clinching up right now, because we're like, come on, man. <laughs> I know, pause right now, yeah, no. But for the Jews, it was a little different deal. God speaks to Abraham, and he says, listen, I want to be in covenant relationship with you and with the people that come after you. And the sign of our covenant relationship is going to be the sign of circumcision. 
Now, I just put myself as one of the people living in Abraham's household when I read Scripture, and I'm, I can just see Abraham walking into the house saying, hey, I just got done speaking with God. He said, this is going to be the sign of our covenant. All of us guys are going to have to be circumcised. And my first response, I think, would be, seriously, you can't come up with anything else for us to have to do. Can I, can I wear a ring? Can I get my ear pierced? I'll even get a, I'll get a tattoo, something. That's all you and God could come up with is circumcision. Well, yeah, but the difference for the people of God was, was going to be that for them, it was to occur at the eighth day. So a male child would be born on the eighth day. They were supposed to be circumcised. And that was the sign, the physical sign in the body that we are in covenant relationship with Yahweh. And it started very early for a few reasons, but one of the, I think one of the key reasons is because it was, it was indicative that you are supposed to serve me your entire life. Right from the beginning, we're supposed to be a covenant people with one another. And so the issue of circumcision was, circumcision was very important to the Jews. It was a sign of their faithful covenant relationship with God. As a matter of fact, if you were not circumcised as a male, you were viewed as a covenant breaker. And it even became something that was used against the Gentiles. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. And it wasn't just a literal statement. It was meant to be kind of a, kind of a jab. Like we are the circumcised because we are in covenant relationship with Yahweh. You are outside of all that stuff. So you are just the uncircumcised. So when you jump into the New Testament, you have a lot of Jewish believers that that is their background. The father of their faith, Abraham, started it. It was in the law of Moses. It was a sign of covenant faithfulness. If you didn't have that as a male, you were a covenant breaker. It was an important deal for the Jews. But then you get to the New Testament and you get Peter and Paul in the book of Acts and they start preaching the gospel of Jesus who comes on the scene. They start preaching the gospel of Jesus God in flesh, but they're not including the things like circumcision and dietary laws and whatnot. They're just saying, listen, Jesus has come. He started a new covenant, and it isn't about circumcision in your flesh. It's not about a mark in your body or you keeping certain dietary laws. It is about you coming in faith to Jesus who was faithful on your behalf. That's how you walk with God. That's, that's what puts you as part of his covenant people. Well, if you had a Jewish background, you might say to yourself, well, that's, that may be a great message, and we love what Jesus did, but don't you remember what Moses told us? Don't you remember what Abraham told us? And so you actually had people who said, yeah, it's okay for you to follow Jesus, but you have got to be circumcised first. As a matter of fact, in Acts 15.1, there's a big issue in Acts chapter 15 because there are people who are actually saying you can't be saved unless you are circumcised. So that was an issue at play. And this is what is going on in the book of Galatians. So Paul is writing to a group of churches in the area of Galatia, which is like in the area of Turkey. He planted these churches. He is their spiritual father. So after he plants them and he gets everything set in place, he's moving on to his next place of ministry, but he ends up writing letters back, a letter back to them that they circulated among the churches because after Paul was gone, there were people who showed up and said, wait a minute, we're glad that Paul said what he said, but you have to be circumcised first and you have to follow some of these other laws. And if you do that, then you can walk with Jesus and then you can be included in God's people. If you don't, 
you're not included in God's people. And Paul's writing to say, wait a minute, that is completely wrong. That is not the gospel at all. And what he's saying is, there are people that have shown up and they're trying to press you into something that Jesus died to free you from. You don't have to be bound by all that stuff. Now, I give you that background because one, I want you to understand what's at stake here and why the Apostle Paul is so passionate as he's writing this. We don't experience this stuff in the exact same way, though. An issue for us in 21st century America is not the issue of circumcision or not circumcision. So we don't have that necessarily to contend with, but we do have the same kind of dynamics that go on. It may not be the same specific issues, but it's the same kind of dynamics that go on. And so we want to talk about that today. As a matter of fact, we want to, as we talk about the cross, I want you to remember something. With all the background of the Jews saying, you've got to be circumcised first in order to be a part of God's people, the Apostle Paul actually writes in Colossians, I think it's Colossians 2.11, and he basically says, Jesus' cross is actually your symbol of circumcision. He circumcises your heart. That's actually the covenant symbol that you are God's people, Jesus Christ's cross. It's not a physical thing in your body. It is the cross and what he did for you that makes you a new creation. But we can still experience some of these dynamics. Paul wants them to walk in freedom, and God wants the same freedom for us. He really wants the same freedom for us. And, uh, and I know in this room that there are people here that love Jesus and you're walking with him, you love worshiping him, but I also know that there can be places of bondage and lack of freedom in our lives, even though we come here every Sunday and we worship together. Even though you go to your small group, there can be places of bondage and places where you're not free in your life. And I really believe that the Lord wants to bring freedom this morning. As a matter of fact, when we're done going through the word, I wanna jump back in just to a time of a little bit of worship because your freedom isn't going to just come from hearing the word. It's going to come from you encountering Jesus and the cross of Christ. That's how it's going to come about. And so we're going to try to move quickly through some things here in order to do that. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to walk in freedom, though, is we're going to have to deal with a few obstacles. Because the cross brings obstacles. And the first obstacle it brings us is the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. Galatians chapter 5, verses, verse 10. Paul is writing and he said, now remember the background I just gave you. He said, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do. See, some of those people that came along were trying to say, Paul believes this too. He believes you're still supposed to be circumcised before you come to Christ. And Paul's saying, that isn't true at all. That's not what I'm still preaching. If I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? I'm being persecuted for my message. So that's not what I'm preaching. If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. That's the Apostle Paul I like right there. <laughs> that's one of my favorite verses in the whole. I'm like, yes, Paul, that's exactly what I'd say. You want circumcision? You get in line first. 
For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. See, the goal of this group, this, this group of people, and some of your translations call them the circumcision group, the circumcision party, which does not sound like a good name at all to me, uh, the Judaizers, whatever, uh, those people who are part of the circumcision group, they wanted to avoid the offense of the cross. And we'll talk about why that is and what that means. Because they were okay with the symbol of the cross, but not the substance of the cross. Because the main message of the cross is offensive to us. It's offensive to us. So the first thing, there are different ways that the cross offends us. The first way it offends us is the cross offends our wisdom. The cross offends our wisdom, and I'll unpack that and, and tell you what that means, but I want to jump to another place where Paul wrote about this issue, and that's the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm not going to get into the whole background of 1 Corinthians, uh, but the gist is that Paul is talking about Jews and what they want, and, and Greeks and Gentiles and others and what they want, and neither of those things is coordinate with the message of the cross. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. That's the key line. The world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So Paul is saying, listen, as far as the Jews are concerned, they want to see signs and wonders, and they want, they want power stuff. That's what they're looking for. And the cross doesn't speak power to them. And the Gentiles and Greeks and other Gentiles, they want wisdom. They want philosophy. They want all that kind of stuff. And the cross doesn't speak that to them. And listen, it's okay to, to want signs and wonders and spiritual power. We should have more of it in our context. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. And there isn't anything wrong with intelligence. There's nothing wrong with being an intellectual. There's nothing wrong with, with understanding philosophy and being a deep thinker. We should be thinkers. Your pastor has told you, you don't check your brain at the door when you walk into the church. You have to have your brain engaged to be in here, but that's not the starting point for us. The starting point is the cross itself. Neither of those two things can replace the cross of Jesus Christ. And uh, the thing for, for us, though, too, when we, think of, when we think of the cross offending our wisdom, they had a much more supernatural worldview in the New Testament. They may not have believed in Jesus or may not have believed in God, uh, Yahweh, God, but some of them believed at least in other spiritual beings. They at least acknowledged that there was a spiritual reality. So for them, wisdom was a way that they might get to God. That's why the Apostle Paul says they would never know God through their human wisdom. Uh, but our context is much more secularized. We live in a context where, and there's always been people who have not believed in God, but we live in a context where there's a whole lot of secularism at play. There's not even an acknowledgement of a spiritual reality very much in our cultural context. You know, so what we do in terms of our human wisdom, and when I say human wisdom, I mean wisdom and thinking outside of God. Wisdom and thinking apart from Christ. Christ was the ultimate thinker. 
So thinking is okay, but thinking empowered by Christ is what we want to have, not human wisdom apart from Christ. So what happens in our cultural context, though, is we get people who are thinking, this is how they get to God, so to speak. If we can just evolve more in our thinking, if we can just think all the right things and believe all the right things and, and all of those kinds of things, that will, that will help us to create a utopia. That'll help us to create the ultimate society. Uh, there's really, it's like a coin. There's really two sides to a coin in terms of human wisdom. And we can fall into either one of these problems. Uh, the first side of the coin is thinking that our wisdom will bring us to God. Or in our cultural context, because there's a lot of secularism, that our wisdom uh, will bring us to our version of God, whatever that is. So there's the side that says, my thinking can bring me, my wisdom can bring me to God. But then there's the flip side of that coin. And this, I think, is a lot more prevalent. And this can find itself in the church as well. Both of these can, but this is a far more prevalent one. And that is, my wisdom is God. That is where we find ourselves in our cultural context quite a bit. In other words, there's nothing higher than my opinion. Whatever my opinion is, uh, that's the highest that it is. What I think, that's what goes. You know, we can do that in the church too. Uh, we will stand on our heads sometimes. Even people that sit in this room, people in congregations all across the country, you will stand on your head to try to reinterpret Scripture to fit whatever your opinion is on a certain issue. Okay? And if we can't do it and we can't figure it out, then we will find some podcast, somebody in a book, and I can name different people who write these kinds of books, we'll find somebody who will reinforce my opinion and the narrative that I want to live out, and they'll do it in the name of Jesus. So they'll write books, they'll do their podcasts, they'll say whatever, wherever, and at the end of it, they'll end, by the time it's done, Jesus is just a human being who was not sinless, was not born from a virgin, did not actually rise from the dead. He was just killed and stayed in the tomb. And a bunch of people after him made up a bunch of stuff so that they could live out something that they knew was not true. And they will say that message in the name of Jesus. And you will think that by reinterpreting truth to fit your opinion that you are free, but you are anything but free when you do that. Okay. That's what happens in our cultural context outside the walls of this church, but it happens inside the church as well. And the sad thing is, is some of the harshest judgments in Scripture are reserved for people who lead people away from God in the name of God. And some of the harshest judgments. See, the thing is, is we like the symbol of the cross. We love the symbol of the cross. There are people that wear symbols of the cross all the time. You ever see it on... Uh, on entertainers, singers, whatever. I like to watch football, so we just got done with the college football season. I don't need to make any comments about college football season because everybody knows what I'm thinking already. Uh, but college football, all the playoffs just happened. NFL playoffs just happened. And in all of them, it seemed like every game I saw, at the end of the game, somebody was being interviewed and they had a cross on because they, they wear all these necklaces while they're playing too. I'm surprised they don't get choked to death. Like, you see those players with the long ponytail or the hair hanging out of the... I'd be yanking that. That's how I'd be tackling you. I'd be like, forget the horse collar tackle. I'm just going to... Just like that. But they got all these necklaces on. There's always a cross. And then they get the interview. 
man, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, without him, none of this would be possible. And you, you, this team, it's the best blank, blank team ever. And they drop an F-bombs and, oh, my goodness, I can't believe. And I'm just like, you can take off the cross now, you know. Yeah, that's, that's not good. They love the symbol of the cross. They do. Uh, I see it all the time on people whose lives don't have anything to do with the cross itself. But they love the symbol of the cross. And what we do is we take that symbol, and we got two of them on the, we got one right there, we got one right there. We take that symbol, and we fill it with the version of Jesus that we like. So we wear the cross, and think about the cross, and then we think, man, I really love uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. I love that Jesus. That's the Jesus I love. I love Jesus that confronted the Pharisees. I love Jesus that turned over the tables and, and, and ripped on religious hypocrites. That's the Jesus I love. I love prosperity, Jesus. I love give me money, check in the mail, Jesus. I'm good with check in the mail, Jesus, too. You know. But that's what we do. We take the Jesus we like, we put it in that symbol of the cross, and that's, and that's what we think of when we think of the cross. I love moral example, Jesus. I love that Jesus, but they don't love the Jesus that says, go and sin no more. We don't put that Jesus necessarily inside the symbol of the cross. So we fill the cross with the Jesus that we want, but the substance of the cross uh, what offends us. And you know why it offends us? When I put the Jesus I want in the cross, that Jesus never challenges me. That Jesus never calls me out on anything. That Jesus calls other people out but that Jesus never calls me out. But the substance of the cross says, when you see the cross, it should be a reminder that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you, and that's why I had to go to the cross, because you have a sin problem. And nobody wants to be told that they have a sin problem. Nobody. That's why the cross offends our minds. Because we don't want to be told that there's a standard and we cannot live up to it without the cross of Jesus Christ. So we look to our human wisdom. We look to our thinking as being God itself. Anything but having to say, Jesus, I have a problem. You're the only one who can fix it. And it comes by way of your cross. It offends people. Human wisdom says there is another way to go about this. You don't have to go through that, that bloody cross. You don't have to go through Ain't nobody have to die for your sins. You don't have no sin problem. Human wisdom wants another way to try to get to God, to get to the divine, to get to utopia, whatever it is they're trying to get to. But that's not the way that you get to God. You will never know him through your own human thinking. 1 Peter 3.18 says Christ suffered for our sins because we have a sin problem. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. You couldn't get to God apart from the death of Jesus. You can't get to God apart from Christ. You can think some highbrow thoughts. You can do some very nice things, but you cannot get to God apart from his cross. His cross offends your human wisdom. Because human wisdom says... It's by something other than the grace of God, and it isn't. The cross says it's only through the grace of God. And trying to come to God through my human wisdom is really asking him for a relationship on my terms, which makes me God, not him. So the cross offends our wisdom. It really does. But that's not the only offense. The cross also offends this. 
It offends our status. It really does. Romans 3, 23, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. How did he do that? Through the cross. But all of us have sinned. We are all on equal footing before the cross. But we don't like to think that way because we do compare ourselves to each other. I know we all do. We think to ourselves, man, at least I didn't do this sin. At least I didn't do that thing. I may have my problems, but I'm not like so-and-so or that group of people or whatever. And listen, I know that there are differences in sins. I know that there's a difference between somebody punching you in the mouth and somebody taking your life. I know that there are differences of sin. I know that there are some sins that really have horrible repercussions in the lives of people. I get that there are different kinds of consequences for different sins. But the reality is, you can put the worst offender right next to somebody who would say, at least I didn't do that, and they both have the sin problem. There's this passage in scripture where Jesus is talking and giving kind of an example. He says, uh, there, you know, you got a Pharisee and you got a tax collector. Neither one of these two people was very popular um, in terms of uh, Jesus followers, you know, the Pharisees, the, the so-called legalists and the tax collectors. And Jesus says, you have the Pharisee who's over here and he's saying, boy, I thank God that I'm among God's people. I think I'm thankful that I, he probably said, I'm thankful I'm part of the circumcised and all of these things are such great qualities about me. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. And that person he's talking about is the tax collector who Jesus says is a ways away and he can't even raise his eyes up to heaven. He just has to look down and beat his chest and say, I'm not worthy of this. But we can do that in our own lives. We can be like that Pharisee who's like, well, I may have my issues, but I'm not like that guy. That guy's got the sin problem. I don't have the sin problem. And at the end of that passage, Jesus actually says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the cross offends us because it says to you, you do have a sin problem. And it doesn't matter how good you are compared to someone else. You need to deal with your sin problem. As a matter of fact, we don't even realize sometimes the evil that can be in our hearts. Even though I may not be out tearing it up like the worst serial killer you can watch on a documentary, there can still be an incredible amount of evil in my heart. We are all on equal footing before the cross. We really are. And that offends us because we want credit for the things we think we're doing that are right. And that's great. Glad you're doing it. But it doesn't deal with your sin problem. Only the cross can do that. It offends our status. And the next thing that it offends for us is it offends our self-rule. Man, I want to be in charge of myself. Just like Freedom said at the beginning, I want to be able to do what I want to do without anybody telling me I can do it. I can remember one time my wife was telling me somebody was reading a book called Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do. I can do whatever I want to do as long as it doesn't hurt you. Well, one, you have no idea how much what you think you do yourself. You have no idea how much that can hurt other people. Number one. But two... That's a very deceiving title because nobody in life has complete freedom like that. You really don't. And it offends us that we can't have our self-rule. And when, when we were hearing that prophetic word just a moment ago, it actually referenced this because that word said, take up your cross. That's offensive to people. 
Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And that's offensive to people. Can I say that? That's offensive to us in this room? Maybe not in every issue, but there's some issues in our lives where we don't want to take up our cross. What we really end up saying is, Jesus, uh, I'm going to take up my cross and follow you in these areas over here that I'm okay with, but in these other areas, you take up your cross and you follow me. That's what we end up saying to Jesus. In fact, Scripture actually references this. In the book of Hebrews, it says that people who walk in willful, sinful disobedience are actually crucifying the Son of God all over again and putting him to open shame. They're crucifying the Son of God all over again. It really is like Jesus has to take up his cross again and follow you because you don't want to walk in obedience to him in this area. Taking up our cross means identifying with what Jesus did. Jesus took up a cross for us and died for us so that we could be rescued from our sins. Jesus died for us, but he wants you to die to you. He wants you to take up your cross and follow him every day, and that is an offensive thing. Relates back to what I was saying earlier about wisdom. I don't want to take up my cross and, and die in this area. There's nothing higher than my opinion. You follow me, Jesus, in this area. And we do it in different areas in our lives. That's offensive to us. The cross offends us because we want some other way to get to God. We want some other way to go through life, some other way to feel good about ourselves because we don't want to have to go through the cross and what that means for us. We don't have to humble ourselves before the cross. But the cross is offensive in that way, and it offends people, but Paul says it's the only true way to freedom. It really is. I know people who think they are free that are not free at all. I know people who think their freedom is I get to do whatever I want. They're not free at all. But the cross does bring us freedom. And there are two big things before we finish up here. There are two big things that it frees us from. The first thing it frees us from is it frees us from the world's mindset. Now, the world's mindset is, I can do whatever I want to do. That's perfectly fine as long as I don't hurt you or whatever. Let me do what I want to do. I'm free to be me, and nothing's higher than my opinion. It's my wisdom. It's my way. You take up your cross, Jesus. I'm not going to take up mine. Okay? That's the mindset of the world. As a matter of fact, uh, in Galatians 6, here's what the Apostle Paul says, and this is his answer to that kind of a mindset. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. That's what counts. May God's peace and mercy be on all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So there's a mindset that says, I want to do what I want to do, but Paul says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to boast in my so-called human wisdom freedom. I'm going to boast in the cross. And my interest in the world has died. It's been crucified. It went to the cross too. And to me, the, the world is dead, and the world is dead to me, all of that stuff. And uh, it's really summed up by John in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I've said this before from here, but I really think it bears repeating because it really covers a lot of what happens in the world and even in the context of the church. And it's not going to be up on the screen, 
Uh, but I'm just going to read it to you very quickly. It says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, John sums it up in three big things. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything in the world doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so, uh, a scholar named Jack Deere, he used to, to uh, be an Old Testament scholar at a particular seminary that uh, fired him because he started to get words of knowledge and words of wisdom, and he was praying for healing and hearing God's voice, and people were getting healed. God forbid we'd see in the new, what's going on in the New Testament happen right now. So they didn't like that he was doing that, so they fired him. Uh, and so he took his scholarship elsewhere, and he's still praying for the sick, and he's still hearing God's voice and still ministering to people. And uh, he talks about this passage of Scripture. And I think he summarizes it so well. What is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life? First of all, when we hear the word lust, all we think about is sexuality usually. But lust is really just is really desire out of control. And it could be desire in any way. Could be desire for money, could be desire for, for clothes, could be desire for whatever. Uh, it's just desire that's out of control. So what is lust of the flesh? Lust of the flesh is what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and nobody's going to tell me what I want to do. That's what lust of the flesh is. Lust of the eyes, what I want to have. I want to have that car. I want to have those clothes. I want to have that house. I want to have that... I don't even pay attention to video games anymore. Were we on PS something? What's the latest? Oh, PS5? Do we have one in our house? We have a PS5? Is that that, is that that machine that I can't do the... When I was growing up, we had an Atari, and you put this cartridge in it, and it had... Uh, what? Come on. My brethren and sistren right here. That's it. One box, it had a joystick and one button. One button. Dude, I can play the piano, and I can't do that. I can't do that. That's all we had, you know. So... Now I'm stuck on Atari's. Lord, forgive me. I want to have that PS5. I want to have whatever. So lust of the flesh, what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. Lust of the eyes, I want what I want to have. And the pride of life, how I want to look in front of people. How I want you to perceive me. The world is driven so much by those three big categories. I want to do what I want to do. I want to have what I want to have. And I want to appear a certain way in the eyes of people. And it is amazing how much we will trade things of real value just to be able to have those things. So we get to what I want to do. You will do what you want to do at the expense of relationships with other people that matter most. What I want to have, you will work hours and hours and hours, and it's wonderful that you want to provide for your family. It's wonderful that you're a hard worker, but you will try as hard as you can to get, 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 and in the process, you can end up losing your family because you got this, but you lost this over here. Because the ultimate goal of the mindset of the world is to get you to make a worthless trade. That's the ultimate goal of the worldview, of the, the mindset of the world, that you will make a worthless trade. You will trade all the things of value over here just so that you can appear a certain way in front of people, just so that you can have that nice vehicle. And ain't nothing wrong with having nice vehicles. There's nothing wrong with people thinking well of you, and it's okay to have things. But the lust of, it's desire out of control for things 
that aren't going to wind up any place good but get you to make a worthless trade. That's what the mindset of the world is. And the cross says to me, you don't have to be driven by that stuff anymore. You don't. There are those of you in this room right now that you're thinking of stuff, you're thinking of ways that you're living those, one of those three areas out. The less of flesh, less of the eyes, or pride of life. You want to do what you want to do. You want to have what you want to have. And you want to look a certain way in front of a certain group of people. Holy Spirit's already pointing that out to you. But Jesus comes on the cross and he says, I will give my life for you because there's no other way that you can get to me. And ultimately you will find that if you chase that stuff down, it is a worthless trade. It is empty at the end of it. But the cross says, you don't have to be driven by that stuff anymore if you would just come to the cross, if you will just come to me. And the second thing it frees us from, the cross frees us from, is the domination of sin. Oh, man. The domination of sin. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. He says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's the key right there to overcoming sin. By reason of the cross, we're able to receive the Holy Spirit. And that spirit in us guides our lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. May you, you all have felt that inner war, that inner struggle. Man, I want to go do this, but I know I shouldn't do that. There's an inner war going on because the Spirit is resident in you, calling you to something higher. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Through that's Paul again, so you don't have to be bound by all that old stuff. Circumcision or diet laws, they're not going to help you stop sinful stuff. They're not. That's not going to do it. Your human wisdom is not going to help you stop sinful stuff. Here's the reality. You can, you can put on a front that you are as free as anybody could be free and behind the scenes still be bound. You can try to think all the right thoughts, create a utopian society, however you go about that, and still be bound as can be behind the scenes. Because only the cross can bring you that kind of freedom. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other stuff like this. He said that's what the domination of sin looks like in your life. So how do I get free? I have to go to the cross. Because here's what I know. I know that we can come to church and we can look like we're doing great, but we can have places of bondage behind the scenes in our lives. And they could be related to some of these areas. There could be sexual immorality that's going on. There could be horrible attitudes in our lives. You could be bound by anger. You could be bound by jealousy. And I'll tell you what, some of those emotions can be every bit as bad as your sexual addiction because it manifests in such toxicity in your life. You can be bound uh, by pride. Nothing worse than pride. There's so many different ways that we can be bound by stuff, acting like we're free, but we're not really free. And only that kind of freedom can come through the cross itself. That's the only way that we can get it. How do I get free? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
That's taking up my cross. Jesus, I've been crucified with you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in this body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus was faithful first. He went to the cross for me to break the bondage of everything that could ever fix itself in my life. And so I'm going to be crucified with him. And then all of that stuff can take its hands off me. Listen, the world says that freedom is I get to do what I want, the way I want, when I want. Don't tell me what to do. It's my thinking, nothing higher than my opinion. Here's what true freedom is. Let's read the uh, commentary on Galatians this week, and this line stood out. Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar that teaches in Chicago. He says, true freedom means we are liberated to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. That's liberation. That is true freedom. I'm not just freed from, we are freed to something. And our freedom is we are free to walk with him in obedience to Christ. This platform used to look different way back in the day. Uh, when I was a lot younger and had nice, dark, curly hair uh, that wasn't so gray, I used to sing in the choir. We used to have a choir that sang every week. As a matter of fact, the robes were very similar to this color right here. Wow. Yeah, they were. They smelled a little bit. They could stand up all by themselves, you know. But they were kind of this color right here. And there used to be a big choir loft back in here, right where Pastor Drew was sitting. Uh, he would actually be down in an orchestra pit that was down there. So you you just see his little head popping up over there, playing the keyboards if it was like that. It used to look so different. And, uh, and that's okay. We've changed and moved, and this is, we follow what God wants us to do, and we're supposed to be where we're supposed to be. That was for its day back then, and this is what we're supposed to be doing now. But I will never forget... In the course of my lifetime, I've had different encounters with the Lord where he has done amazing things in my life. My wife and I had an encounter with the Lord right down here uh, where God dealt with some financial issues in our lives. We were supposed to be given to something that we we're called to give to. There was a special dinner one night. The leadership, though if you served in any kind of leadership and capacity in the church, didn't mean you were a pastor because I wasn't at the time, but I was given leadership in a ministry. We were the ones who were supposed to give first, and so I was sitting right here. This stage used to go out a little bit of a square. I was right there. Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as a bell, said, this is how much money you're supposed to give. And I'm like, Jesus, we don't have that money to give. Can you come back with another number? And he's like, nope. He didn't come back with a different number. My wife was on another place in the sanctuary. I don't know where you went. I was focused on Jesus. So... My wife went and prayed somewhere else, and when she came back down to this altar right here, she said, well, here's what God told me. It was the exact same number. It was the exact same thing. And so we said, okay, Jesus, you got to do what you're going to do, because we sure can't do it. And within a few months, we had paid off all of our debt, had given what God had told us to give, and we're like, how in the world did that happen? You know, it was an amazing encounter with God. I had an encounter right back there by where those cameras are. Uh, one time I was standing there, and Pastor Wayne Benson was pastor. He came through us. That's Pastor Drew's grandpa, his papa. Right back there, Pastor Benson said, I'm going to come and pray for you. He lifted his hand to pray for me. He never touched me. It's like he took a hammer and knocked me on the floor. And he never touched me. But the Holy Spirit and I had an amazing encounter in that moment, and he changed some things in my life. One of the most important encounters I ever had with Jesus and the cross of Christ was right back there behind those singers waiting to come on out. Because there was a stairway down from that choir loft. 
and somebody preached that day. I couldn't tell you what the message was about, but I can tell you that this altar here was filled, and I can tell you a bunch of us from the choir were coming down. I just made it to the steps and had to sit down in my smelly old choir robe right on the steps. But I'm telling you, I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus that set me free in so many amazing ways. There were attitudes in my life and actions in my life and stuff that I had allowed to creep in that was just holding me back from everything God wanted me to be. I was not free. And I knew I wasn't free. You'd have looked at my life and you would have said, that guy's doing all right. But I knew behind the scenes that I had bondages in my life uh, that I just could not get free from by myself. And it was that moment, right back there, nobody laid a hand on me, nobody touched me, nobody prayed for me. God bless you. That was freedom right there. Nobody prayed for me. It was just me encountering Jesus, and he changed stuff in an instant. And it was like I slingshotted forward in my life because I had that encounter, and Jesus freed me in so many amazing ways. He wants to do the same thing in this very room today. And it may come in a moment by reason of you coming down and agreeing in prayer with someone. Or it may happen by you just having an encounter with Jesus yourself. But Jesus wants to set you free in so many ways. And I don't have to have named what that way is, but you know what it is. Everybody in this room knows exactly what ways you want to experience freedom places of your life where you are anything but free. You are just bound. But this morning, Jesus wants to free us.